Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. One can understand why the, the tens of thousands of people in the streets were saying that doesn't feel like a democracy, feel like it's not a democracy, right? I mean, because the, the first point that I want to make is that I've heard a lot of people, not you, absolutely not you, but I've heard a lot of very smart people who either on the right or slightly right of center or even in the center say the left is having a tantrum, or the left is having a hissy fit. And I find that a very problematic claim. Because even if I find what you're saying very, very, very compelling, and a lot of it I find very compelling, and I've never been opposed to judicial reform as a matter of principle, just some elements of it, but this is one. So for example, if we're living in a country where effectively the, the Knesset could say, no opening mosques, the Supreme Court does the digital review, the Knesset overrides it, and until the next Knesset, we now have a little bit more than three years. For three years, there could be no opening mosques, no opening churches, no opening reformer conservatives. And next, the Knesset could do whatever it wants. It feels very undemocratic. Or something that we, we discussed before we went on the air, um, the, the law on elections and voting in the Knesset requires 80 people, to 80, 80, 80 members of Knesset to change it. Now, I don't think Israel's ever had a coalition of 80 people. I could be wrong. I don't think it ever has. But let's just say hypothetically, it gets a coalition of 80 people, and then the Knesset decides, and this reform has gone through, um, you know what, we're not going to have elections every four years. We're going to have elections in 15 years. And then they're going to be free and open elections. Now, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of crazy hypothetical because we've never had a government of 80, but let's just you know, anything is possible. You live in a world in which that is conceptually possible, one can understand why many of the people in the streets at Azrieli or in front of the president's house in Jerusalem or even in Efrat these days feel that this feels like an illiberal democracy, right? Well, it's only illiberal if they would actually do those things. But, you're, but doesn't one have to prepare for the worst case scenario? Okay, so let, let, me, let, me, let me answer your, your question in several different ways. First of all, uh, with regard to your specific question of the override, and I, so I've, I'm on record already as thinking the override is a bad idea. Uh, I don't want to explain right now why, because I want to address your bigger question, but, but let's come back to it. I want to tell you why I don't like the override. Uh, it's partly related to what you said, but not, not exclusively. Um, I want to address your bigger question. Your bigger question is, wait a minute, um, I don't trust these guys, right? The, the, you know, the, the, these guys who were elected to the Knesset, they look like a rowdy bunch. Uh, it might get worse. Some subsequent election, it might, you know, it might be even scarier looking people, right? And I don't trust them. And uh, I want to have 
some way of checking them. I want to have judicial review that's effective, that's going to prevent them from doing crazy things. Okay, so let, let me first say that that's a, a completely legitimate and understandable question. I completely agree with you. And by the way, as somebody who is libertarian, I mean, for me, you, individual freedom is absolutely the first and most important thing that, 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 that I strive for in, in politics. Okay, I don't trust, I don't trust members of Knesset, whether they're on my side or the other side. I don't trust ministers. I don't trust anybody. People are human beings, okay? And human beings are flawed. Their, their judgment can be flawed. They can do horrible things, okay? But um, having said that, okay, the question is what are the right mechanisms for checking them? How can we do this effectively? So we can, we can argue this case in two different ways, both of which are important. One of them is the theoretically correct way to, you know, to ask the question, all right, what are the right mechanisms, right? How should we set up a government, right, starting from scratch? And when you ask that question, like Rawls, you want to be doing it from behind the veil of ignorance, right? You want to assume that you don't know who's in the Knesset or who's going to be in the Knesset. You don't know who are the judges or who are going to be the judges. And if you really want to go full Rawls, you don't even know what your own opinions are about, about these matters, right? Or what your own prejudices are, your own biases, right? You, you don't know anything. You don't know if you're rich or poor. You don't know if you're Jewish or not Jewish. You don't know anything, okay? Yeah. But that's a little bit hard to do, okay? You know, let, we don't need to go full Rawls on this. Let's just say we have no idea who's going to be in the government, okay? Who's going to be in the Knesset? Who's going to be in the court, right? And now we want to get the procedures right, okay? Well, the first thing you want to do is not give anybody a bigger gun than they need, right? So like I would say, you know, it, you can always demagogue this kind of thing. And let me tell you how, right? Supposing somebody comes up with this brilliant policy, right? We're going to give all the barbers in the city machine guns, right? Be, you know, seems like a good idea, okay? We're going to give them all machine guns, right? And then, you know, say you come and say, uh, that doesn't seem like a good idea. You know, things could go badly wrong, right? And then the response is, well, you know, five years ago, a barber with a machine gun prevented a terrorist attack and saved many lives, right? So you go, yes, okay, it worked that time, but it, that, that, whole, that whole line of argument seems like demagoguery, right? It just, it doesn't... I'm not convinced by it, right? So it's the same thing. When you're trying to set up, you know, the branches of government, uh, it's very easy, for example, to say, well, I don't know, why don't we just let the judges always decide if some government policy is reasonable or not, right? Why don't we just, you know, let them hear as many cases as possible because the more cases they can hear, the more justice they can do, Right. And, and, and if we don't let them stop unreasonable things, well, my God, what happens if somebody actually does close all the mosques? Or, or well, that, that would be a law, presumably. But if it was a policy, right? It's, yeah, it's just, what's the answer to that? It's just unreasonable, right? Okay, so th the answer is that to say that the, that the courts could always decide what's reasonable and what's not, right, is to give them... It's like giving barbers a machine gun, okay? It's just giving them ammunition that is too big. You really only want them to be getting involved in, in a limited number of cases. You don't want them second-guessing the, the government on every single thing that ever happens. But you've given them a tool, right? Or they took for themselves a tool that allows them to do just that. Okay, I, I hear you, yeah. and I understand it, but I want to push back a tiny bit. 
Um, at a certain point, this boils down to who are you more afraid of? Yes. Right. I mean, a lot of life, by the way, boils down to yes. what are we more afraid of? I mean, insurance questions are about that, and war and peace questions are about that, and a lot of family questions are about that. A lot of life is about what am I more afraid of, this or that. If you were to ask me, just Daniel Gordis, just a, just a guy sitting in an office, would I rather take my bet on living in a country defined entirely by the Israeli Supreme Court with no legislative branch to push back on it, even though I'm a basically, you know, religious guy and they're basically not a religious court and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Or a country designed and shaped entirely by the Knesset, and I can't separate it from the fact that I look at the Knesset right now and see what I see. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say to you, Moshe, you know what? Yes, you're right. I'm taking a big risk either way. The court could do things that I would find anathema. But they, I would say, Daniel Gordas's predispositions, I grant you, they are more educated they are less newcomers to the system, typically. Um, so I'm going to take the. I'm going to go with the court. I just think they are less likely to create a horrifying society or a horrifying reality for me and my family, who I care about a lot, than the Knesset. In an ideal world, I would love there to be a balance, which is why I don't like the override clause. In some, in, at least in the, in the form that it was suggested a couple of weeks ago. Now it's obviously being tamp uh, tempered, but. Um, what would you say to what would you say to that? Like my scenario, I'd rather live under kind of like the worst possible imaginable court-designed society than the worst possible imaginable Itamar Ben Gvir and Smarich society. Okay, so here's my answer to that. Okay, first of all, um, when you design a system of government and you decide the checks and balances and the powers that you want the court to have and the powers that you want elected officials to have, you should not be looking at the judges and the members of Knesset that are standing before you at that particular moment. You are trying to set up a system that, like Hamilton and Madison, okay, way back in the 18th century when they wrote the Federalist Papers, is going to last for the next 250 years and beyond. God right? willing, God willing. God willing, okay? Now, if, if, if you're gonna decide how this system should be structured, not on the basis of what makes sense and what kind of powers it makes sense to give the court, whoever the court is, right? Or the legislature, whoever the legislature is, and instead you're thinking, how much power do I want to give Esti Chayut and how much power do I want to be, uh, give Bitsal Smutrich, right? You are going to get to very short-term solutions that are not going to last, okay? They will not pass the test of time. So that's my first answer to you is, is a... Or they a, might not pass a somewhat, it, It's a somewhat rarefied answer, okay? okay? Because it does not mollify the person who's looking at, at, at Bitsal Smutrich and going, oh my God, okay? Right. But... In any event, it's it's a correct answer in the sense, you know, you don't know that 50 years from now, you're not going to have uh, a bunch of Shas guys or, or whatever comes after Shas sitting in the Supreme Court and, 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 and a bunch of, you know, educated uh, uh, legal types sitting in the Knesset. You don't know that. And what you have done if that turns out to be the case, given what you have life. done is that you have given all the power right to the Shas guys in the court. So I'm just telling you, be careful what you wish for. That, that's the first thing I'm telling you. But the second thing, I know that that doesn't mollify people who are going, yeah, but it's all smothered, right? So, so I, first of all, I happen to just since I mentioned him and you mentioned him, 
I, I, I know Bitzal well. I, he is actually a very, very smart, fair-minded, and good parliamentarian. I just, just want to put that on the record, okay? But On the record. Okay. But I understand that he's not everybody's cup of tea, okay? And um, the question is, okay, should you, is your opinion right? In other words, if you were better informed about the facts, would you still hold your position that you just want to give tons of power to the court and as little power as possible. So first of all, I have to say, and this is really maybe just a, it's a slightly pedantic point, but saying, you know, I don't trust the Knesset, let's move all the power to the court is very undemocratic. Okay, you understand that what you're saying is- Yeah, but I'm not saying- I, I do power. not. Okay. I, okay, but, it's anti-majoritarian in a strong way. So- it, But a uh, limited you, form of judicial review is you, not anti-majoritarian. Uh, correct, correct. correct I, so and I'm, I'm not advocating radical judicial review. Uh, no, what, what, the way you put it before was, if I have to decide between them, no, I no, want to- No, but that was the, the extreme court. case, right, yeah, obviously. Uh, fair okay. enough, we're, we're in agreement here. Okay, okay fair enough. We're Glad in agreement. we got there. Okay, good. <laughs> now, now, with regard to, uh, you know, should you really be trusting the court? And the example you gave is, what if the Knesset extends its own term, okay? What if they don't respect the elections, right? The elections happen and they just say, we're not honoring the elections. Okay. That's a great question. But let me tell you why. You've got it exactly backwards, okay? okay. In the entire history of the state, it has never happened that anybody so much as breathed a suggestion, okay, that any legislator or government minister has ever so much as breathed a suggestion that we should not respect the elections, okay? But, so you're just, you're raising a completely hypothetical possibility, right, which we have no reason to believe will happen, but, That's okay, the of worry, worry about the worst case, okay? Now, here's the thing. The court could do that, too. The court could also not honor the elections, right? The court could rule that the elections are invalid, right? But here's the thing, and here's your mistake, okay? Not only is it hypothetically possible that the court could do that, and when you design your system, you should be worried about that too, okay? This has already happened in Israel in our recent past, okay? The fact is that after Benjamin Netanyahu that was the court elected to talk prime about minister, there were petitions brought to the court that said that since Netanyahu has been indicted, not convicted, okay? The law says that if he's convicted and he has no appeals, then he has to step down, but... That was not the case, right? And people brought petitions to the court saying, well, you should force Netanyahu to step down. Now, at this point, any reasonable court should have said... We have no standing. We we have, have, we have, we have no. There's no basis. There is no basis for us to deal with this. There is no law. And it, it would be the most fundamental disrespect for the people who have elected this person as prime minister to say, well, you chose him, you voted for him, right? You elected him, but we are saying that he can't sit as prime minister. The court did not say that. The court sat and heard the case and discussed the case and said, well, we could have, but we're not. Okay, now, so, so I'm just telling you... you see that as a continuation of the Barack power grab of the courts? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And so what I'm telling you is, if you're talking about hypotheticals, you should be much more worried about the court because we have empirical evidence that the court might actually do it. We have no empirical evidence that the government would do it. Okay, that's a good answer. I mean, I think you can understand why I would be afraid of a, of a situation in which one could shut down mosques or churches. Oh, so let me, let me address reforms. that. So let me address it. Okay, so, 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 so fair, the question is, 
do we want to go to the other extreme, right? So I already said... I know said, you're not advocating that because I, you're I, not advocating... No, but I want to be explicit about it, okay? We, we already said that we don't want to give machine guns to barbers, all right? And that's why I said I don't want to give the court this reasonable, re reasonableness uh, um, you know, as a basis for, for striking down government decisions, right? Fair enough. Um, but I think that the override is a kind of a machine gun too that we're giving to the Knesset, okay? In other words, I understand why some people in the Knesset want this override. They think that the court has made some decisions that were extremely unreasonable and we have no recourse, right? The court, remember, the court has recourse when it can strike things down. It has judicial review. We don't have any review over the court. So if the court would decide tomorrow morning, they would just get up and say, we rule that you have to close all the mosques, okay, just to take an extreme example. Not likely to happen. It's not likely to happen the other direction either, right? The Knesset has no foundation, right, for, for undoing that, right? Now, they could, they could pass a law that says, you know, you can pass a basic law that says you can't close down mosques, okay? But then the court could say, hey, we're, you know, we're the ones who interpret the basic laws. We decided that we do want to close down mosques. Okay. I, again, if we're talking about hypotheticals, you know, okay. I can make we're up way my, out on the I can okay. I can make my make up my own hypotheticals. But okay. but no matter. That's that's why that's why the Knesset is concerned. There have been cases, right, when the court struck down the compromise agreement about the Haredi draft, right, the the Tal law. And when they struck down three different versions of laws about, uh, about detaining uh, uh, illegal infiltrators in, in, into the country, right? So the Knesset kind of felt that they were, they were violated, that the court had no basis for making the decision, but they had no recourse, okay? Yeah. All right, so that's why they want it. But even so, I think they're just giving them a carte blanche and say, look, anytime, anytime the, the court strikes something down, you could just bring it back with 61. I think that that is too big a gun. All right. It's the wrong gun. It's too big. But so that's why I am opposed to it. But I'll tell you something else. I'm opposed to it for another reason. I think it would encourage the court to strike down more laws than it already does. OK, my uh, one of the I, I, my kids make fun of me that at the Shabbos table, I, I often mention the something called the Peltzman effect. All right. The Peltzman effect is this guy, Sam Peltzman, he's an economist in the University of Chicago. Right. And he studied the effect of seatbelt laws. Um, what do you think happened in, in different states in the United States that came in in different years? People so you're gonna... put them on less. No. What happened is people did put on the seatbelts. OK. And they drove 10 miles an hour faster. Ah. OK. Because they felt safer. People have a certain every individual has a certain uh, tolerance for risk. Okay, when when you put on your seatbelt, you feel safer, right? Since you feel safer, you want to keep your risk level constant. All right, you step on the gas, right? That's what happened. So the result was there were actually more accidents rather than few, but fewer people in cars died because they were wearing the seatbelts, but more pedestrians died because they weren't wearing seatbelts. Okay, so so anyway, Peltzman did this in different states because they brought it in different years, you know, so he could neutralize the effects of time. Fascinating thing. Anyway, why do I mention the Peltzman effect? Well, uh, you know, when judges strike down a law, well, they, you know, they're taking a certain amount of political risk here, right? Uh, doesn't seem to bother them very much, but, it, I, I, you know, it's not non-existent, right? right? They feel a certain amount of political risk when they do that. And if you tell them, you know, we always have the option of, of overriding, 
that's basically like somebody in the back seat with an extra set of brakes, right? They're thinking to themselves, man, we can really step on the gas now, right? Yeah, right. Because, right. because of the override. That's a very unhealthy dynamic, okay? I don't want to get to that kind of dynamic. Right, I'm mean, assuming that that's how the board would respond. Uh, who yeah. knows? But okay. Look, this has been very, 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 very illuminating. And I think for our listeners who may not have heard Yaniv Rosenai, it's really worth listening to him and listening to Professor Capel and just hearing two very smart people with two very different takes. Both of them care about democracy. Both of them care about the state of Israel. Both of them are thoroughly decent human beings who are just on mostly opposite sides of this issue, perhaps a little bit less than the digital review thing on the override, but whatever. I want to take a complete step away from the law, and I want to ask you just really a, a question about, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's a legal question, maybe it's a sociological question, I'm not really quite sure. We're in a very, very dangerous place in Israel right now. I mean, there are so many things here that could blow up, some of them physically and some of them politically, some of them morally. Uh, I have to tell you, I get very nervous every time I see 90, 100,000 people on the streets in Tel Aviv. And I'm not nervous that they're going to stop the traffic on the eye alone, which they have done and will probably continue to do, which I have mixed feelings about, but I can make an argument either way. But I'm very nervous about somebody tossing a grenade into a crowd. I'm very nervous these days, and I have a, just a dread, which I hope is misplaced. Why not, after the Knesset is done with its deliberations, and we've seen even the last 24, 36 hours that in the Constitution Committee there are compromises being sort of hammered out a little bit about all sorts of things, why not put this up to a referendum? Why not let the, the, the air out of the balloon, the pressure out of the tank, and say to the Israeli people, um, we're going to work this out on the Knesset. We're going to come up with whatever compromise most people feel comfortable with. And nobody's going to feel that anybody, anybody, anything has anything rammed down their throats. We're going to put this up to a vote. I don't hear anybody talking about that. So it must be a bad idea, but I just don't know why it's a bad idea. Okay. So the point is, that it, it, it's not a horrible idea. It's just that you can't decide, you know, when there's a particular law that you're worried about, uh, okay, that one we're going to have a referendum about. Okay, every law, every law is important. Every law no, is why could the, the, the government, like, could the, the, Does the government have the right to call for a referendum? Uh, you could. I mean, there, there, there are situations in which you have to have a referendum. Okay. okay. Uh, the gov you, you, could, you could call a referendum. I, I think, though, that it's, it's, it's a bad precedent, and it's also unfair to say, you know, there's particular laws that I... I'm particularly worried about, and I think those are the ones that have a referendum, okay? You know, there have been other government decisions that, you know, that were controversial, right? Uh, when it came to the, uh, the Hitnatkut, right, we didn't, we didn't have, we, there was a referendum within the Likud, and, and it was trounced by 60 right. to 40, and that was completely ignored. There was no actual referendum about right, it. People are going to run to the and, referendum, but right. they didn't want to do it. Okay, and when, when Barack, you know, when Barack did all of these things in the court, of course, none of that came to a referendum, because that was a court decision. So Correct. No, the only thing that I would push back on and but, say, and again, we're not going to really disagree at the facts, but we're just yeah. going to throw at this conclusion. And I'm not sure I'm in favor. I'm just asking a guy that knows a lot more about it than I do. Right. One could make the argument that we have never had such a divisive internal issue not related to our borders and our enemies in Israel's history. So I, and therefore, this is not just like any other law. Let's put Fine. it on a referendum. One could make that argument. Fair but enough. I'll tell you what I think we should do, okay? I don't I, think we should have a referendum. I think we should do something else. I think that um, the opposition and the coalition need to sit down and reach a compromise here that has more than 64 
votes for it. Which is what Herzog says. Uh, Well, yeah, Herzog says it, but, but, but it's not enough to just say it. You know, people actually need to do it. No, I understand. And that's what I do all day long, okay? I, I do not spend most of the time talking to people who agree with me about this law. I spend my time speaking to people on the other side who are opposed to this law, trying to figure out, well, where's the common ground here, okay? Each element of these things, which I explained to you why I think they're important. I mean, we didn't actually drill down into the law and where the compromises are, which which is is worth the conversation. But I think every single element of this reform uh, is in itself important and valuable, and I'm in favor of it, but can be toned down in a way that would draw much wider support and make people much less fearful. So, for example, I've already told you that I don't think that the override is, you know, should be included in the reform. I think, you know, with, with regard to the committee that appoints justices, you know, we're playing with numbers here, right? I mean, the way it is now with, with, with only four, only four uh, elected officials out of nine, that, that's just not reasonable, okay? That, that there should be more, okay? There should be uh, more opposition members on this committee at the expense of the judges, right? I think the, the judges weigh this committee down and, and keep, the, and keep you know, the, the, uh, the whole thing too homogeneous. You want to have opposition people and coalition people. That, that would kind of bring more diversity to the court. So in each one of these things, there are compromises that can be reached, and they will be reached, and that's the right solution to this problem. That is actually a great optimistic note. Not only can the compromises can be reached, but you think that they will be reached. Uh, I hope and pray that you are correct. Cannot thank you enough for your really extremely articulate and a very helpful laying out of the issues. There's not a person who listens to this who's not going to have learned a tremendous amount. So thank you for the time and uh, wishing all of us in this country better news and better days. Amen. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.